Amen. We take our coffee seriously here, so I got two. <laughs> Y'all like the coffee? Is it good? All right, we got Starbucks for you because we love you. All right? And we hate bad coffee. So. Yes, amen. All right? Okay. Um. Those of you I haven't met before, my name is uh, Pastor Cameron. I pastor Conduit North, you just heard about. We'd love to have you come and learn more about uh, dinner church today after service down in the classroom at the end of the hallway here, uh, if you're able to. But uh, my task today is to continue us in our series in Vintage Church. And Vintage Church has been, for us, a a walk through the book of Acts. And for the last three services, at least here, we've taken a, just a brief intermission in our Vintage Church series to uh, do the Blind Spot series over Easter, the Easter season. Uh, but today we're jumping back in into Vintage Church. And I want to give you a little bit of an explanation about how the next couple of months are going to go because that informs everything that we're going to do uh, today as well as the next uh, five or six weeks and even further than that. So we've been in the book of Acts and uh, the book of Acts has, is kind of like, it's kind of dual purpose, all right? So similar to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell a narrative story, which means they, they tell the story, you see the interactions that Jesus and his disciples have with other people, um, it, it's the progression of the story as it goes along. That's what we mean by narrative. It, it tells the story. And Acts is similar to that. It tells a story. And it tells the story from the time that Jesus ascended back into heaven after his resurrection um, all the way through the, the development of um, uh, the Apostle Paul and his carrying the gospel message to the Gentile world and the development of churches all over the Mediterranean. And so we have kind of like dual, dual layers here. Because on one hand, we have the book of Acts as we would expect any book of the Bible to really look like a story. It has kind of a beginning and it has kind of an end. Um, but we also have, because of the nature of the Scripture as a whole... We take the book of Acts and we start to get into places like chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and then especially when we hit chapter 17, and this is kind of the, the chunk of space that we're into now, we see that Paul, who has, been, um, who has been called as the apostle or the one sent to the Gentile world or the, the non-Jewish world, how he starts to create relationships with cities, people, and areas that are outside of the center of Judaism or outside the center of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. And so we start to see him have intera interaction with or go to places like Thessalonica and Ephesus 
and Corinth and Galatia and Philippi. And he has interactions with men and women. Some of them we know by name. Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Uh, and, and so if those names sound familiar, uh, they sound familiar because we have in the rest of our New Testament the written accounts of Paul's relationship with those strategic places and those strategic people. And so when we read in the book of Acts chapter 17 about Paul's relationship with the church or with the believers in Thessalonica, we can then turn to our scripture to 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And we can see how we have the narrative picture where it fits in the timeline, but then we also have maybe the more detailed picture of the relationship between the apostle and the church and people that are being developed by his ministry. And uh, over the next couple of months, what we want to do is we're going to give you a brief snapshot of where those people and places fit within the timeline or narrative story of the vintage church. But then instead of just staying in Acts, we're going to actually take you to those books. Timothy, First and Second Timothy, Thessalonians, uh, Corinthians, uh, Ephesians. And we're going to kind of dig around in the Word in those places uh, in order to get a, a really broad and full picture of how God developed the vintage church, the earliest church. What were some of the issues that were, um, that were encountered? Some of the, the people of the stories? Um, and just try and hear from the Lord. So, does that make sense? You understand where over the next few months we're going to be going. Well, this next chunk of time, this next five or six weeks, we're going to be in um, the letters of First and Second Timothy. So if you have a, a copy of your scripture, you can take it out, put your finger in First Timothy because we're going to be there. If you don't have a copy of a scripture, there should be a few in the seats next to you. You can also, if you have a smartphone, um, hop on your favorite Bible app. If you have a smartphone and have the Conduit Ministries app, and if you don't, you should, there's a Bible on the Conduit Ministries app as well that, uh, that you can access. But we're going to kind of be jumping back and forth between Acts around chapter 16 and uh, the book of, or letter of 1 Timothy. So um, if you would go there, we're going to jump right into this guy, uh, this guy's, guy named Timothy. And Timothy... Um, was a young man when Paul met him. But a young man that had promise and potential. This series in uh, Timothy with, uh, and the Vintage Church is going to be all about leadership. Uh, and there's hardly anyone that I know that, or there is no one that I know that should not be concerned with leadership. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a leader. 
I don't have a, I don't have a position of authority. I don't have a, I don't have a place where I'm in, where I'm in charge of anything, where, where everyone looks to me um, as a leader. Well, I would say that when we think that, we, we, most of the time we think that way because we overthink what it means to be in leadership. We, we overthink what it means to be a leader. To be a leader simply means to have a place of influence or to be a person of influence. Because you don't think of leadership ter- uh, uh, purely in the positive form, right? Because there certainly are bad leaders, right? In terms of their character. The, the influence that they have influences others in a direction that is not good. And so leadership um, is influence. And so if you are a person who has influence over anyone else in your life, you should be concerned about leadership. You should be concerned about how am I to develop leaders around me in a way that honors and glorifies God. And if I'm, and if I'm thinking intentionally about the, about the fact that I, okay, I do, so I do have influence. I've accepted that fact. I've accepted the fact that God has given, that God has given me a position of influence in this person's life, or this person's life, or this person's life. Now, how am I about, how, how am I to go about my place of influence in a way that develops them with the character and heart of Jesus Christ? How can I have maximum effectiveness in, in their life? Now, for some of us, for a lot of us, um, a lot of us are at the stage in our life where the people that we have primary influence over are our children. Some of us don't have children. Almost all of us have close friends. Okay? We have co-workers. We have siblings. We have mothers and fathers. We have uh, nieces or nephews. We have people um, that we work with that take our opinion like they they want our opinion they listen to what we say right they care what we think they want to know uh, what to do in this situation or that situation and so um, your task this morning is to allow uh, the Holy Spirit to impress upon your heart and your mind the person or persons that you have primary influence over and then allow the Holy Spirit to take the principles from the word and apply those to that primary relationship of leadership or primary place of leadership that you have that that place of influence that you have I can't name that for you I can't make that for you but 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 you know who that person is and I'm trusting that the Lord is 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 placing that person upon your heart right now so that you know exactly where and how these things will uh will play themselves out um so i want to go look at uh if you have your bibles open to acts chapter 16 because this is the first moment where where paul um is introduced to timothy sees an opportunity to have leadership or influence over Timothy, and then sets out on a course 
to ensure that his leadership in Timothy's life is effective as possible, okay? Are you there with me? Acts 16? Amen, if you're there? All right, okay. Uh, Okay, so Acts chapter 16, uh, starting right at verse 1, he, as in Paul, came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jew and a believer, whose father was a Greek. Do you have to come from a family that has a long heritage of faithfulness and godliness and leadership within the church or leadership within the kingdom to have a place of influence yourself? Don't, right? Point number one here is that we see that, that one of Timothy's parents believed. The other, it seems, the way that Luke phrases it here, was just kind of an average old guy. One was a, his mom was a Jew and a believer, but his father was a Greek. Just a way of saying, ah, he was a Greek. Normal guy, right? No offense to the Greeks out there. (laughs) So verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. So Paul came to this part of the city he, um, he was introduced, apparently, to Timothy. Maybe Luke is giving us just a little bit of biographical information about him. Now, his mother was a believer. His father was a Greek. Um, the brothers, or the believers, at Lystra and Iconium spoke to Paul and spoke well of Timothy. Meaning, they spoke positively about whatever they saw in Timothy, whether it was a measure of his character at that point, or maybe it was a measure of their potential. You know, we see people in our lives, and we see that they they are displaying certain gifts or characteristics or qualities about themselves, and we're like, yeah, you know, with the right guidance and a lot of practice and hard work, they really have a future in basket weaving or whatever the case may be, right? They spoke well of Timothy. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, so listen. We want to know how to maximize our effectiveness to influence those in our life whom we hope to lead. You know who the person is in your life. I know who the person is in my life. This is what we must understand, okay? If you're a writer down, writer of notes, write this. Partnership encourages potential. We must be willing to partner with people when we see, notice, or have been told of their potential. Paul was told of Timothy's potential by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium as they spoke well of him. Now whether 
Paul had it in his mind already that, that he was going to stand strong as in a place of influence or leadership over Timothy's life or not when he heard this. It doesn't really make any difference. What makes a difference is that Paul took the appropriate steps to ensure that he had a close partnership with Timothy from here on out so that it would encourage the potential that was being recognized in his life. And so the very first thing that he did was what? In verse 3 of Acts chapter 16, it says that Paul wanted what? Let me hear it. Show me that you can see it. He wanted to take him with him, right? That, that, that influence over Timothy's life for Paul was not something that could be done from afar. It wasn't it, real influence, effective influence, um, diligent leadership over Timothy's life encouraging his potential was not something that a pen pal could do. That it, that it had to be done within a close physical proximity. If you want to have effective influence over someone, if you want to lead them in a way that encourages the potential that they have, if you want them to be developed into the person that God has created them to be, you must be physically present in their life. You must be. There is, there is, no, um, there is no replacement. There, there is no substitute. There, there is no other way to get around it. To have maximum effectiveness in influencing someone else's life, especially for the benefit and glory of the kingdom of God, you must be physically present in their life. The best way for another person to be led, to learn, to grow, is to watch someone else model the behaviors that are being or that are, that, that are, are rooted in that potential. And so Paul says, all right, we're going to take Timothy with us. He already had Barnabas. He already had Silas, all right? But we're going to bring Timothy with us. We see the potential in this young man. Um, he's coming with us. And so over the next couple of chapters, you see these instances where Paul and Timothy and Silas, they went to Macedonia. And then they went to um, Philippi, starting in verse 11. And then Paul and Silas went, and, went uh, and were imprisoned, and Timothy stayed out. And then Timothy went with them to Thessalonica. Time and time and time and time again, you get this picture that as Paul went around and ministered and planted churches and preached the gospel and evangelized to the Greek-speaking people in the name of Jesus Christ, that Timothy was right there at every moment, hanging on every word, learning everything that he possibly could so that he would be positioned in the exact place that God needed him to be when the time was right. And what we're going to learn here in a few moments is that we often think that when we're developing someone as a leader, that we're developing them into little miniature clones of ourselves. 
That, okay, um, my, my oldest son, my oldest child, his name is Noah, right? And, um, and, and that's who my primary role, like one of my primary roles of leadership is with. So I want to have influence in the life of my son, influence in the life of my children, okay? Um, so, like, the tendency or the temptation is to say, okay, Noah, um, you come along with me, and I'm going to bend and mold your personality, your, your gifts, right, your characteristics, so that you're exactly like me. He's going to be a little Cameron. God help him, right? <laughs> like, no. Okay? But that's the tendency, and it's normal, right? Because who knows us better than us? Right? And we, and we pass on who we are um, to other people, right? But, but as we see in the example of Paul and Timothy, whether or not Paul, like, kind of eased off the gas pedal of making Timothy just like him, or, uh, or whether it was an intentional decision, right, or Timothy decided to be his own person all on his own, that Paul and Timothy were not the same type of people. They did not have the same type of ministry when it all, when everything else was sorted out in the wash, okay? And uh, the idea is that we want to bring others with us. We want to be close in their physical proximity, not so that they can model themselves after um, our strategy necessarily or the way we do X or the way we do why, or why we say this, or why we say that. What we want to do, and by God's grace, we're all the type of people who have the, the spiritual ammunition to do this, is that when we, when we put ourselves in close physical proximity to a person who we are desiring influence to encourage their potential, is that we want to encourage not their gifts, not, not bend them into little clones of us, but we want to influence their character, right? We, we want them to witness the heart of God in us, the movement of the Holy Spirit of God upon our own lives, we want to we want to show them what it's like to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, so that so that when they see um, us being um, obedient to the movement of the Spirit upon our lives, and then exercising our gifts within the flow of the movement of the Holy Spirit, they are encouraged to do the very same thing. I don't have to be like my dad. I don't have to do the things that my dad did, but I certainly want to be able to hear the Lord like he did and then respond in obedience in accordance with the gifts that God has given to me. And, and that is the way to lead with kingdom effectiveness because we allow the person to remain autonomous to who God has made them to be, but to be obedient to the same God that we follow. So we pass on by our physical presence what it means to be obedient to the Holy Spirit over our lives and allow the God-given gifts that they have to guide the decisions and the places that they make. So 
first and foremost, we must commit in our leadership or influence over others to be physically present in their life. Fathers, you can't be physically present working 90 hours a week. It doesn't happen. If you work 40 hours a week but got five hobbies on the outside of the, on outside of the home so you're never there, right? You're never there. You're never there. Someone will have influence in the life of your child. Someone will. You get to choose who has influence. You get to choose. But, but someone will if you don't choose yourself Someone else will step into that role. And you may not get to choose then. You may, you may not get to choose who has primary influence, who leads your child. Number two. What are we, what are we doing here to have um, good partnership that encourages potential? Well, to this uh, we got to know uh, to know this. We have to go over to the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy himself to get a little bit of a clue uh, into one of the things that Paul did for and over Timothy. So go to not First Timothy, but Second Timothy. It's just a few pages past first. Okay, so, like Paul, you recognize the potential that a person has, and you want to encourage that potential, all right? And as a man or a woman of God who desires to encourage Holy Spirit, kingdom-bound potential, right, we want to pray not just for but over those to whom we have influence. There's a difference between praying for and praying over. Okay? Um, one is not bad and one is not good. Okay? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that there is a, there is a definitive difference between when we remember someone in our prayers and we begin to pray for them, intercede for them, and when we approach someone and put our hands upon them and call down the power and authority of God over them. When we recognize the potential in them and that by our Holy Spirit power-driven uh, prayers, we fan the flame we, we blow on the ember of potential that the Holy Spirit has placed in their life and it bursts into flames. And this is exactly what, do, what Paul does in Timothy's life. He reminds him of the moment that he put his hands on him. Now, I got to imagine that Timothy ran up against something where he was doubting a little bit of his own calling or doubting, you know, like, man, can I do this? Am I cut out for this? I don't know what's going on here. This isn't me. 
my dad wasn't even saved, right? So who am I? <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he writes this, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Okay, so Paul is praying for him. Recalling your tears. Man, something was going on in Timothy's life, right? I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Way to go, ladies. Picking up the slack where fathers are lacking. I am persuaded now also lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul had a moment where he put his hands upon Timothy and encouraged the potential of the gifts that God had given to him Fanning them into flame. Not about just praying for someone. Oh yeah, I was praying for you the other day. Uh, that you would be strong and that you would be encouraged. Listen, I will take all, all the prayers like that that I can possibly get. But there is something different that happens when a person in leadership, when a person of influence puts their hands on your body and prays for God's best in your life. I'll tell you a little story from um, our family just a few weeks ago, okay? And um, I'm always amazed at the faith of children. Um, whenever, uh, you know, as a pastor, whenever someone comes to me with what seems to be uh, insurmountable odds, a mountaintop that they cannot get over, um, some incredible sickness or infirmity or difficulty, and I say, do you have kids? Yeah, we have kids. Do they know how to pray? I mean, yeah, we pray and stuff, you know. Okay, well, let's bring your kids in here. All right? Get your child to pray. You want to be healed? All right? You want God to move? You want to see, you want to, you want to see the, the heavens respond like right now? Get a child to pray. They don't know how to not believe. Right? They, they pray in such utter confidence that the Lord is right there, hearing, responding, eager, full of love for them, that when they pray, they pray as if it has already happened. They have amazing spiritual sensitivity. And I, I noticed that... Um, Mostly in my son, Noah, who is six. He talks and is a little bit more articulate than our other children. So, you know, I think it's just kind of a natural part of his development that we're starting to see where and how God has made him and created him. But mom and I were sitting on his bed a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, we were talking to him, and, and he had some questions, some, some spiritual questions. And, um, and one of the questions was about uh, Satan. And he wanted to know who Satan was. Um, 
and he wanted to know what he was all about and how he became Satan. And this was an interesting question <laughs> uh, for me because um, we, we, we tend to talk about Jesus in our house, you know? We don't talk a whole lot about Satan, <laughs> right? He's like, so, um, so it was interesting to me that he had a perception of who the enemy was without me ever remembering a moment where I communicated to him that we have an enemy and his name is Satan. So um, we were, I was answering some questions and just talking about it. And I said, buddy, why do you ask? Like, why, why all these questions? And he says, dad, um, sometimes when you or mom tell me to do something, you want, you want me to do something? Um, uh, I, I, I see Satan, and he jumps up into my brain, and he tells me to do something different. <laughs> what? <laughs> he does what? Now, two things. One, right, as... Um, One, as a Christian and as a, as a pastor who already is quite um, sensitive to the schemes of the enemy to destroy my family, this made my stomach drop. No? But then, on the other hand, as a pastor and a man of God and a man who has the Holy Spirit of God living in him by faith in Jesus Christ and as a fighter, I'm like, oh, it's freaking game on now. <laughs> right? Like, because we got the tools. Like, we are not, God does not leave us unequipped. Right? And, um, this was not some story that Noah made up. Like, oh, I'll trick mom and dad by telling them that I think Satan's jumping in my brain to disobey them. No. It's not made up. They don't know how to make up stuff like that. He makes up stories about transformers and dinosaurs. Okay? Not about deeply spiritual issues. And so Sherry and I both, like, sat right up in bed. Immediately change your physical posture. I put, right? I put both of my hands on Noah's head. Right? My wife places her hands on Noah as well. And we pray in that moment for the Holy Spirit of God to protect our son's mind. To give him clarity of thought. To give him a spirit and a desire to obey and honor his mother and father as is in keeping with the Lord to continue to be spiritually sensitive, but to have, even at age six, Holy Spirit discernment to do the godly thing. And there's a difference between us calling down the authority and power of God upon him and for him in that moment as his mother and father, as primary influences influencers in his life. There is a difference between doing that and being like, well, okay, bud, well, 
uh, sorry about that, and then we go into our own room and think, oh, we better pray for him. Like, if you're going to commit yourself to being someone who encourages the potential of God in others' life, commit yourself Commit yourself to the physical act of putting your hands on someone else and praying for them. That, the, that, that through your prayers, the potential that God has put into them is... Fans the ember that is in their life so that it bursts into flame. You with me? Good? All right. Okay. Um. So, oh, I got all kinds of time. Okay. Here we go. Um. So we have your physical presence. You must be there, right? Your prayer, your laying on of hands type of prayer. Here's the here's the third. Um, confession, this is most difficult for me, personally. Okay? This is where, this is where I'm like, ah, no, don't want to. Is, um, you must be willing um, to push them out of the nest. Alright? Leadership is not eternal babysitting. You must give those whom have, admittedly at this point, submitted themselves to your leadership over them and who have probably spent time in your physical presence and who have prayed over. You must separate yourself from them so that they may lead. So that so that the things that God has put in them can be, can be practiced in the, the laboratory of real life, right? Because we've already done the hard work, okay? We've, we've, already, we've already committed to our physical presence in their life. And so um, through our influence by being physically present in their life, their character has been developed into one that receives or, or is obedient to the, to the prompting and the voice of the Holy Spirit in their life and, and is informing their giftedness, right? And is, and is developing their, their character. And then we're, we're, we're praying over them. We're, we're exerting spiritual like um, uh, headship over their life. And then, so the very next step, right, is allowing the character that has been developed, the prayer that has been said, right, uh, we're allowing that person now to walk within the giftedness that God has given them. We have to let them go. We have to let them go. We can't micromanage their life. We can't micromanage their, their ministry. We can't micromanage their gifts. No, 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 no. Don't do, don't do it that way. 
Do it, I would do it like this. It doesn't matter how you would do it. Right? What, what matters is, are they responding to their own giftedness in a way that is obedient to God's word and obedient to the direction that the Holy Spirit is guiding them to go? Right? Because do I want Noah to be, um, do I want Noah to be a man of, man of, of, God? Do I want him to follow the Lord? Do I want him to, to know the word? Do I want him to share the word with others? Oh my gosh. Like, there's nothing I want more. But the, does that mean that Noah has to be a pastor? Absolutely not. Alright? Um, and your child doesn't have to, or the person that you influence doesn't have to fall or follow in your actual physical footsteps to honor God and to honor your leadership over your life, they have to, they have to have the, the, the little ember, the flame that's been fanned, um, uh, burst up into what God has called them to. Now, now listen, um, we're going to take a little bit of a little bit of a right hand turn here, but not at the same time. Okay, so so Paul was a proclaimer of the faith, okay? He was a preacher. He was an intellect. He was an orator. And he proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed. And um, you would think that Timothy would then become a preacher, right? Well, Paul was leading Timothy. He was his mentor. He was his guide. And that's really not what we see in Timothy very much at all. Not a, not, we don't really see many examples, even if at all, of him preaching or proclaiming the gospel like Paul did. We see something completely different. When Paul pushed Timothy out of the nest, Timothy landed for a short period of time in a little place called Ephesus. Right? And um, Ephesus for, uh, for a, a long while, and we see this in the letter to the Ephesians, but mostly we see it in Paul's first letter to Timothy. Um, Ephesus had a string of really bad gospel teaching in their community and in their church. So, so Paul, think of it this way, Paul had set up this community. He had planted a church. Novel idea, right? Someone should do that. He had planted a church. He had preached the gospel. They had received grace by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he left. And he traveled to other parts of the Mediterranean to do the same thing, right? And as he was gone in the absence of of his leadership, you know what happened at Ephesus? Chaos. In the absence of leadership, especially within the church, chaos ensues. And we're taking a little bit of a divergence here from a generalized understanding of leadership 
any type of influence that we have over people that encourages the potential that God has put in them, okay? To talk for a moment about one role of leadership within the church. Okay, well, what do I need to know about that for? You're sitting in a church. Exhibit A. Looking around the room, a large number of you we see every week. It is my assumption that you have in some way, shape, or form submitted yourself to the leadership of the pastors at Conduit because you trust, not in us as men, but as, uh, in us as those who are listening to the Holy Spirit, and you follow the Holy Spirit in us. Now, without good leadership in the church, chaos ensues. Timothy was a man, not who was set like Paul to be a proclaimer of the gospel, but to be a protector of the gospel within the gospel community, particularly in Ephesus. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see what happened and what Paul encouraged Timothy to do. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went to, into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers or adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Leadership is God's way of protecting the church, of protecting you against the chaos that comes from a false knowledge of him. Paul was primarily a proclaimer of the gospel. Timothy was primarily a protector of the gospel. What was the main thing here that Paul was encouraging Timothy to protect the church in Ephesus against? It was, it seems, a certain amount of men who were teaching false doctrines. 
who were devoting themselves to um, foolish controversies, who were wandering away from the gospel which was entrusted to him and turning towards meaningless talk, who were assuming positions of teaching the law, but had no idea what they were confidently affirming. Then Paul goes into exactly what it was or what it is that was causing chaos in the life of the church because these teachers were teaching the, this false doctrine. And he talks about the law. He says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious, blah, 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 blah. So here's what we need to understand, okay? We could talk a long, long time uh, about this. But um, the purpose of the law, right, is not to be used as a tool to control those who already have expressed faith in the grace of God to save their souls. What was happening in Ephesus is that there was a community of people who had received upon the proclamation of Paul's gospel that God loved them not based on what they did or who they were morally, but based on his grace and his grace alone found in the love of Jesus Christ. What the community had returned to was this law-based system of do right, act properly, avoid these things, make sure you do this. They were reverting to a law-based system that said that walking with Jesus, a life in the kingdom of God, is all about doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. And what Paul was encouraging Timothy to say is that the law was made for, not for those who have already received grace, because now we walk by faith and we walk by grace, but the law stands as this gigantic mountain that pushes against those who are already lawbreakers and sinful and ungodly, and it stands as this giant like, oh my gosh, I have no capacity within myself whatsoever to fulfill any of this. The only way, the only way that I will ever know God is to give up on my striving to fulfill this long list of things and receive the thing that he gives me for free. Paul goes on to say that, uh, that the protection 
of Timothy over the community in Ephesus, over the Christian community, is not to be wielded as a means to have authority and control over a group of people. You know, if you, if you only knew the heart of your pastors for you, you have no idea, no idea how much we love you. How much we, we ache for your ache. How much we hurt for your hurt. How much we are broken and then carry that brokenness into the conversations around our, or like we, we carry that brokenness into the life of our family. And as we are, as we are helping to carry the load of, of your brokenness, it weighs upon us. If you only knew, if you only knew how seriously we take our calling from the Lord to watch over and to protect the spiritual health and vitality of this community, of this city, I think it would overwhelm you. It keeps us up at night. I'm not trying to be dramatic or anything like that, but, but, but you need to know that. Because we don't execute leadership over a church or over a community as a means to control. We execute and... and are in places of influence and leadership, I can say confidently for the very same reason or for the very same reasons that Paul encourages Timothy to do the very same thing. The goal of this command, he says in verse 5. First, remember, he says in verse 3. As I urged you when you went to Macedonia, or when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command men, certain men, not to teach false doctrines any longer. Then jump down in verse 5. The goal of this command is what? So that you can be in charge? So that you can strong arm the community into to showing, showing everyone who's boss? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I'll tell you what, at every, in, in every step of the game, every moment and life cycle of this community of people here, every single chance that we get we intend to protect you and the church from false teaching 
Now, this might seem like, well, that never happens. No one ever gets up on stage and teaches falsely. You're right. We, we protect this place pretty quick, pretty strongly. I'm losing my words, right? But you know what? You know who you need protection from the most sometimes when it comes to false teaching? Yourself. Because there are so many times where I've come up into, into instances where you come into this place called Conduit and you are showered with grace and love and mercy and freedom, right? And, and the ability to be you, to bring your baggage, to bring your hurt, to bring your brokenness. And there is, and there is love and mercy and grace that is showered upon you. And then at some point along the way, you want to go back to the baggage and carry it and bring it to us and say, here, you hold it for me for a while. And what we're going to say is, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm not going to let you teach yourself those bad habits again. Not going to happen. If I have to protect you from you, I'm going to protect you from you. Not because, man, hey, I'm the man I'm in control, but because I love you. Because my heart is sincere and pure for you. For the flame, for the ember that God has placed in you. And man, do we just want to like... So that the small little thing bursts into flames. That's our desire for you. We love you. We love you. And we'll protect you. 